This message is brought to you by the Church of Pentecost Cyprus. As you listen, may it build faith in your heart, inspire hope in your life, and fill you with God's amazing love. Enjoy the message. Genesis chapter 3, just the verse 9. So this is after Adam and Eve have sinned, eaten of the forbidden fruits. The Bible does not say it's an apple. We know it is a fruit, but we're not told what fruit. And the Lord appears to them. Then the verse 9 says, Genesis 3, 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? Now, God knew where Adam was. He knew that Adam was in the garden. He called out to Adam and said to Adam, where are you? And this morning, my sermon is simply on that question. Where are you? Um, You may turn to the person next to you and ask them, where are you? Or if you want to ask in pigeon, you can also ask, Or you can ask in a language that the person will understand well, well. Where are you or where you (laughs) be? So this morning, my question is two. First one is, where are you? Now, to the children of Adam and Eve, he asks one of their sons a question. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. The verse 9 as well. Both verse 9. So this is after Cain has killed his brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? Or where is Abel your brother? See, God is concerned about where people are. He said, Where is your brother Abel? Or Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So the second question for today is, where is your brother or sister? Ask the person next to you for me as well. You see, the second account for me It's quite an interesting one. It's interesting because this is a man who has just committed murder. And we know that when we commit sin, God is drawn away from us. But yet, because of God's richness and mercy, God still speaks to him. And there are many people who are crying and yearning to hear God's voice. There are many people who wish that one day I can just hear God's voice. And he has the privilege of hearing God's voice and his response is cheek. He gives cheek to God. Something that someone would die for or would cherish. Something that people are praying, God, one day I just want to hear your voice. Some would come to church and cry and say, God, just speak to me. I just want to hear you say one word to me. 
And he, he has a privilege. He's not a righteous person because he's just committed murder. Blood is on his hands. And he still has the privilege of hearing God's voice. And the response is cheek. Gives God cheek. Am I my brother's keeper? Am, am I the one who born my brother? God, why are you asking me where is my brother? Are you not God? Ask him. So, where are you and where is your brother? Now, this month of evangelism, our focus is about winning the lost. But where are you yourself? Where are you in terms of your relationship with the Lord? Where are you? And if you are in a good place with the Lord, where is your brother? Where is your sister? There are some you know who are falling away. Do you care? Is it just about you? Is it just about your salvation? Um, when you read the scriptures, especially when people account, um, encounter Jesus, one thing that you'd often read is that Jesus would beg them that, please, keep quiet. Don't tell anyone about me, about what's happened. He almost has to force them to keep quiet. And a lot of them struggle to keep quiet about their encounter with Jesus. But in these days, we actually have to beg people to open their mouth to talk about Jesus. We actually have to beg people to evangelize. We have to beg people to go and look for the lost. We have to beg people to, to be concerned about their lo the lost, about their brother or sister. That is an error. There's something wrong. Where are you and where is your brother? Um, I'm going to go through a list of items um, to show which should help us to assess ourselves and to see where we are spiritually. And as you do so, you also weigh and look at where your brother or sister is. And at the end, I want you to be burdened to go and look for that person. Um, at the end of the service, what we'll do is we have some names that we've put in a bowl. Male will pick male and female will pick female. I don't want any problems. Uh, I've been doing this work long enough to know that some people are looking for opportunities to get someone's number. And if you make a mistake, uh, so male would go for male, women will go for women. And you will pick a name. Whatever paper you pick, there will be a name on there with a person's number on there. And I want you to develop a desire and a burden for that person. Um, I want you to be interested and passionate about the salvation of that person. Now, there is someone or one or two people whose names are in there that I just saw coming to church today. Uh, so even though you are in church today, the very fact that your name is there means that you are not where you should be. Uh, and your coming today doesn't mean that there's a possibility that we may not see you again. So we still need to give someone, put you in someone's hands to hold you. My whole desire is that what you will do is that you will develop a passion for the person whose name you've been given. And you would pray for them. And you would call them. You would check up on them. 
and you will make it your passion and your desire that by the end of this year, I want to bring this person back to the Lord, back to church. If the person doesn't want to come to the Church of Pentecost, I will help the person find another church to go to. Ultimately, it's not about them coming here. It's about them coming back to the Lord. Now, some of, some, some of the people whose names are in there, um, they've been missing for a while. Some also, they have visited the church maybe once or twice, but they are not consistent enough. They are not regular enough. Um, if you call and in your interactions, you realize the person goes to another church, praise the Lord. You leave that, you continue praying for the person. But if they don't, I want you, there is a church in Ghana called Lighthouse. The pastor is Bishop Dagiord Mills. Some of you might have seen his video. He brought out a video and said that, um, don't delete people's numbers. Um, if maybe someone is worrying you, change their name to don't answer one, don't answer two, don't answer three, don't answer four, don't answer five, don't answer six. <laughs> so, <laughs> please don't go and change my name to don't answer. <laughs> yes, and they have this term called anakazu. Anakazu. And anakazu means that, like, literally, you do everything to bring a person to church. You do everything. And there's one video I saw one time, it's a skit, where someone uh, was doing evangelism. They went to see someone, and the person says, oh, I don't, I, I don't have water to wash. And the person went and fetched water to bring to them. That you have no excuse. Here's water. Wash and come. I don't have clothes. I'll get you clothes. Here is clothes. I don't have lorifer. Okay, here. But basically, you do everything to bring your brother or your sister back to the Lord. Amen? So, we'll give out the numbers or the list later. So, where are you and where is your brother? Now, in terms of assessing where we are, there is a list of things that is in Hebrews chapter 10 that I want us to go through. Um, and I will touch on each one of them briefly. So you can assess where you are, and also in doing so, you can also assess where your brother or sister may be in their walk with the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19. Hebrews 10 from verse 19 through to the verse 25. Hebrews 10 verse 19 through to 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his body, that is his flesh, 21. And having a high priest over the house of God, 22. Let us draw near with the true hearts, in full assurance of faith, let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together 
as is the manner of some, but exalting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. As you see the day. So he's saying these things, you should do it more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we draw closer to it, he says these things should be a priority. And where are you when we come to these things? Now, I've spoken about this once and these are an indication of um, how spiritually high a person is and how spiritually low a person is. When we say someone has backslided or has fallen out of the faith, um, these are the items that shows a backslider or a state, the spiritual state of a person. The first one that he says is in the verse 22. So he's talked about how the privilege we have and that because of the blood of Jesus, you and I can go into the presence of God. That opportunity has been made available to all of us. See, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could draw into the presence of God. And that high priest only could, uh, was someone who had to be a Levite. It didn't matter how religious you were. It didn't matter how much you professed to love God. If you were not a Levite by birth and you were also not a high priest, then you didn't qualify to draw near to God. But now, because of God's great love and God's mercy for us, the curtain has been torn and now you and I can draw near. Draw near. God is not charging gates fee. He's not charging anything. He makes it available to everyone. That anyone can draw near to him. And he's saying that we have that privilege. Let's draw near to him. Aside from that, we also have a high priest over the house of God. A high priest who is faithful. A high priest who understands. A high priest who has been human before. So he knows what it means to be human. He knows what it means to go through challenges. He knows what it means to go difficulties. So when you're coming near, you're coming near to someone who understands. A God who understands. So this is the privilege and this is the kind of God we have. Then the verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with a pure heart. How do you draw near to God? Do you have time that you spend with God? Do you have time that you've said that as for this time, it is for God? And when you draw near to God, what kind of heart do you draw near to God with? He said, let's draw near with a pure heart. But for many people, they only draw near to God to give God their problems. They only draw near to God because they want something from God. For many people, their relationship with God is just like how someone relates to a fetish priest. When they need power, when they need something, when there is a problem, then they would come. And they would come with all the sweet words, all the melodies, all the nice things, all because they want something. But after that, you will see them again. You will see them again. You will see them again. Do you draw near to God? And if you do, with what reason do you draw near? There are many people who draw near to God, come to church. But their motives are wrong. Motives are totally wrong. There are some who come to church maybe because of a female or a male. There are some who come because of a friend. There are some who come because maybe if they don't, pastor will call them. 
There's some who come because they need something. You know, in the Church of Pentecost, there are sometimes you see certain people and you try to, um, it's quite common. You try to convince them to come to church. They will give many excuses for not coming. But when it's like they want to do a wedding, you see these people start coming to church. When they've had a bereavement, lost a family member, or they've given birth, then they start coming to church. Why? Because they want uh, an occasion, they want an event, they want something. They want something from the church. Then all of a sudden, oh, I'm a member of that church. Oh, I go to that church. Oh, I'm part of that church. What is your motive for drawing near? What is your motive for drawing near? You see, Bible says that those who diligently seek him, God is a rewarder of those people. Those who diligently seek him. So sometimes when you draw near to God and you're not receiving anything, then you must ask yourself, okay, what is the state of my heart? What is the disposition of my heart? Am I actually drawing near because I want to know God? Because I appreciate God? Because I'm grateful to him? Or it's only because of a problem I have? You can notice some of these people by how they speak after church. They may come to church, you ask them, how was service? The only thing they will talk about is maybe praise and worship. Oh, the praise and worship didn't go well today. We didn't get a chance to dance. Um, I didn't like the way and the song this one sang. Um, and this person didn't greet me when I came to church. Did you come for a greeting? Did you come for a handshake? Is that why you came to church? This one didn't say hello to me. Are we here for hello? Oh, and this one wore this clothes to church. Oh, and this one, the same shoe they wore for the past three weeks. They wore it again. Well, are you fashion police? Are you inspector of, of, of... They will not make any mention of scriptures. They will not make any mention of sermon. They will not make mention of any testimony. Though they are drawing near, the heart they are drawing near to God with is not sincere. It's not sincere. They draw near. Or they may draw near and a sermon may come, something that addresses an issue, something that addresses a sin in their life. Instead of leaving that thing, they will still, hmm, uh, God understands, and carry that thing still out. You're not hungry to meet God. So, where are you? And where is your brother or sister? The second thing he says in the verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful are you holding fast onto the things that we believed are you holding fast onto the things you were brought up with many of us were brought up with the view that as for sunday it is for the lord no matter what sunday is for the lord it is even known as the lord's day as for sunday it is for the Lord. But as some people grow, then they come to a point where it's like coming to church becomes optional. Optional. Sunday is not longer reserved for the Lord. 
It is when I choose to that I give it to the Lord. I even have heard someone make a comment that, oh, uh, I don't go to church, but even God knows my heart and I'm very good and it's okay. Who told you it's okay? Who told you it's okay? Who told you it's okay? Where they begin to justify that uh, uh, it's okay. They don't hold fast onto those things. Some grew up with the, with the notion, with the, with the understanding that drinking alcohol is not good. Bible says that um, wine is for fools. But people would actually try and justify that they are not fools if they are drinking wine. You grew up with a mindset that those things are wrong. But you now you've let go of your hold and your firm grip on those things. You've let go of your firm grip on those things. Some grew up with the mindset that, you know, fornication is fornication. But now it's a situationship. Now we're getting to know each other. You know, after all, you must test drive a car before you buy, right? Is that not right? Some, it's like the standards have slipped. There are no more standards. Some grew up with a mindset that, look, actually, when I do something, when I gossip, when I do certain things, it hurts someone. But we've let go of those things. I remember when I was quite young in the Christian faith, there was a time I decided that I'm going to print the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to stick them on my wall, my bedroom wall. And I'm going to, so that it's visual, so that any time at all, I can see it. So that it can help me to hold on to those things. Things like, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not lie. But for us now, it is not a problem. If some things God would understand. If I have to tell a lie and through that lie, I may receive something that will give me comfort, it's okay. Who told you it's okay? God has not changed his standards. Now people say we're in a dispensation of grace. And because of that grace, it's like we can be, we can be fluid with our Christianity. There is nothing solid. There's nothing firm. There's nothing we hold on to anymore. Sin is no longer sin. Now the, the, the predominant worldview is that, um, you know, God wants us. God is a loving God. And God wants everyone to be happy. Now, if something that I do makes me happy, as long as it makes me happy, then God will be okay with me doing that. As long as that thing makes me happy and doesn't hurt anyone, it's okay. It is not a sin. So if I feel within myself that um, though I have male genitals, but I, I feel that dressing as a woman and expressing myself as a woman makes me happy, then it's okay to do that because ultimately God is a loving God and God wants me to be happy. True or false? What a twisted worldview. We don't hold fast to the hope that we profess. We don't hold fast to the word of God. Some were brought up with this principles in their home that no devotion, no breakfast. Hmm? <laughs> you see some are saying yes. No devotion, no breakfast. When there is no fast, there is nothing to break. But who still holds on to that? I, I, someone was telling me a story recently that, um, I think it might be here. They said that in their house, when they were growing up, there was always devotion. And 
if they didn't wake up at 5 a.m. for the devotion and their dad leaves home to go to work, they would have to chase their father. If not, they would get no pocket money. Who told me that story? Someone. Okay, Benedicta. The parents did those things to put some principles into your heart. When I was growing up, we were taught that you don't go into the Lord's presence empty-handed. But ah, it's okay, you know. God understands. When we were growing up, we were taught that Sunday you wear your best. Like how I decided to, you know, <laughs> you know, improve my swagger a little. You know? <laughs> we were told that you wear your best because you're appearing before God. But now, you may walk past someone and the build that will hit you. And you're like, ah, is it anointing or is it something else? It's like, people, it's like, relax, it's okay, I can just go into God's house anyhow. I was talking to a pastor next door. And he was saying that people, like, our values are no longer there anymore. Like, when it comes to God, it's like, we don't want to give God our best or give him certain things. But people don't take that same principles when they go to a funeral. You will not appear at a funeral dressed anyhow. Would you? Who would do that? Because in your mind, you're showing respect to the dead. Even if you don't have a black shirt, you will find a black shirt to wear. You will go and find something. You will not just turn up in flip-flops. You will not tr just turn up and care. Because in your mind, you're going to show your last respect to this person. But when we gather in God's presence, it's like people don't care. They, they just wear anything. Things that sometimes they may wear to the club, you wear it here. What are you doing? Where are you in your walk with God? Where are you in your relationship with God? Some probably grew up in homes where evangelism was key. Where maybe once a week, once a month, they would do evangelism. Especially those from a Jehovah Witness background. Those people, when they get hold of you. <laughs> Sometimes when they come, your parents will say, hey, tell them I'm not in the house. <laughs> But I like their principle because though their message is wrong, they, they, are, they are passionate that everyone must hear their message. Everyone must hear their message. They don't care what people will say. They will come to your house. They don't care what you do. If you reject them next week, they will come again. If they, they will come the evening. They will come in the morning. They will come in the afternoon. By what means, all means, they must get you. They must get you not there anymore hold fast some grew up with the notion that the bible is the true and pure word of god is the true and pure word of god but now it's no you choose what you want to hold on to so where are you in some of those things next thing he says in the 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So there he's talking about being your brother's keeper. I should be able to stir someone in love and stir them to do good works. But it's now all about me. 
It's now all about you. It's no longer about how I can motivate my brother or sister. Stare one another in love. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, one of the things it says about love is that it says, love does not rejoice in evil. So if I am staring my brother or sister in love, and I see that something they are doing is wrong, love does not rejoice in evil. I will not encourage it. I will not keep quiet about it because my silence is also a form of encouragement. But love says that, no, what you're doing is wrong. You approach the person. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing, how you're talking to this sister, how you're treating this brother, how, what you're doing is wrong. I, but no, you encourage. You make people who are doing wrong feel comfortable because you don't want anyone to say you're judging them. You don't want anyone to say that, you know, uh, they're being religious. You're forcing me. No. If someone is going down the path, that will lead them to hell. Someone, if there's fire and someone is putting their hands into that fire and it will burn them. A sign that you want to stir them to love is you pull them out. If I, at the end, the person, if you lose your friendship as a, as a result of you doing that act of love, I would rather do that. One day the person will come to understand what I did for them. So, let us consider how we stay one another in order to love and good works. 25, and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Some have gotten to the stage where they've forsaken the assembling of ourselves. I, I think about it and I, I, I just, I don't understand it. Who here will say that because my manager is not good, I'm quitting job, I'm quitting work? Who would quit because of a manager? Who here would quit and say that because my work colleagues don't, are not nice to me, I'm not working anymore? Not many people would. Even if you would quit that job, nobody will say that because my manager is not good and all managers are like that, and the work colleagues are not good, so all work colleagues are like that, I'm quitting work, I'm going on retirement, I'm never going to work. I'm never going to work. What's going to happen to that person? But some people take the approach of church. They say because the pastor in this church is no good, I'm not going to that church. Okay, if you won't go to this church, go to another church. Find another job. If the people in the workplace are no good, you will change a job. But you, no one says that because of that, I'm not going to work again in my life. But some say because of that, I'm not going to church anymore. Work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. One day the trumpets will sound and Christ will come and Christ will gather his own. And Bible says on that day many will appear before him and say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name. And he will say, get away from me for I don't know you. I don't want to be among those people who when the trumpet sounds and Christ comes, he rejects me. It's as though the coming to church and the working on the salvation is for the pastor. It's as though it is for someone. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves. Even as the day draws near. Even as Christ draws near. Don't forsake those things. So, ultimately, when someone 
has ultimately backslided, this is the last stage when they stop coming to church. But it starts from the verse 22. The first sign is that they stop drawing near to God, like personal devotion. Or if they do draw near to God or come to church, they don't come with a pure heart. The heart is not pure. The motive is not pure. It is for something. It's not necessarily to meet God or to see God. It is maybe for other reasons, as I mentioned. So that's the first sign of drawing back. Second thing is the 23. Then they stop holding fast to certain things. Their grip on certain principles that they've grown up with, they start loosening their hold on it. Things that they knew were sins and regarded as sin, they start loosening their grip on it. They start accepting other reasons as justifications for those things. Start loosening their grip on those things. Then, from there, once they start losing their grip on those things, then the verse 24 kicks in. They are not, when you go near them, their speech is not one that encourages you. They will start saying everything that is wrong about church. Let me tell you the honest truth. If you want to find things wrong about church, you'll find a thousand and one things. If you want to find many things that are wrong about me, you'll find many of them. It doesn't stir your faith. It doesn't build up your spirituality. It doesn't build you in faith, hope, and love. It, it may build you in other things, but not faith, not hope, not love. And then ultimately, the 25 comes in, 24, 25. Then they forsake the assembling of the saints. Now, it's, now the problem is everyone. The church is the problem. Now, in Cyprus, there are no, no, no good churches. Normally, when we are coming to the Lord's table, we read 1 Corinthians 11, and one of the things Paul says there is that, therefore, each one ought to examine themselves. Examine yourselves on the things that I've talked about in Hebrews 10. Examine yourself. Is your heart sincere towards God? The words that come out of your mouth during worship. Is it truly from your heart or is it just things you're saying because everyone is saying something? When you say you love God, do you truly mean it? Are you willing to let go of certain things for God? Do you hold fast to the confession of your hope? The word of God, the principles of God, the values of God. The things that will help you grow. Some of us grew up with the, in homes where once a week you were to fast. Do you hold on to those things? Where the Lord's house is the Lord's house. Do you stir others to love and to good works? We can't end this sermon without giving an opportunity to make things right with God. If you would like to do so, then I would humbly ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Father, I confess that I am a sinner and that I fall short of your expectations. I thank you for sending Jesus to die and to resurrect for my sake. 
this day I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and my personal Savior. I accept the forgiveness you offer, and I accept the salvation you also offer. Come live in me. Come change me. Come help me, so that my life may please you. This I have prayed in Jesus' mighty name, with thanksgiving. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time, congratulations, well done. It's the first step. You can get in touch with us through any of our social media handles and we will help you to grow in your relationship with the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he watch over you. May he shine his face upon you. May he give you rest and peace in everything. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. If you'd like to know more or have any questions, please contact us by email at info at copcypress.org or in any of our social media platforms at the COP Cyprus. God bless you.